themed entertainment design show podcast my name is patrick and of course we have andy garfield nice to see you nice to see you as well and i'm glad everyone's hearing us out there in podcast wherever you listen to your podcast uh before we get started you know go ahead and like subscribe find us and please help us spread the word about our podcast many people know uh, us on tetv but yes themed experience television is also a podcast and we had a very special podcast this this month uh, actually last month in march uh, it was our Women's History Month celebration special, right? Isn't that right, Andy? It is right. Yeah, we had a roundtable of uh, some of our favorite women, uh, friends of TETV, staff of TETV, uh, uh, with a really, really great discussion of uh, women in the industry. Yeah, and what was really cool is, uh, you know, we had Jessica Kling, who um, works in operations, Kathy Dixon, who, who's been working behind the scenes and design development for a long time, and Caitlin Sprague, who, you know, bridges you know creative writing producing and all sorts of interesting things so i thought it was a great episode and we hope you enjoy it too Hi, everyone. Hello. Welcome to TETV special mini-sode about women's or celebrating Women's History Month. I'm Caitlin Sprigg. I'm a producer on TETV. I run the A Day Day in the Life show here that runs every other Friday. Joining us today is Kathy Nixon. She's a host on A Day in the Life. And Jessica Kling is also with us. She does marketing for the network. So we were asked to come on today to talk a little bit about our career journeys. You know, we talk to hosts about or to guests on our shows about their career journeys, lessons learned, advice for young professionals and that sort of thing. And a lot of us on the network haven't had a chance to talk about our own career journeys. And so this is a good opportunity for three women on the network to do exactly that. So already did a little bit of introductions. Um, Kathy, Jessica, would you like to say anything else about TTV and what you do on it? Do on the uh, network? Well, on the network, I am <laughs> on a day in a life. I love speaking to other people who started you know, within themed entertainment and outside of themed entertainment and kind of their pathways that took them into the industry. Um, For me, it's, I didn't start off in the industry. I I actually started off in engineering and (laughs) it was mechanical engineering with the idea of maybe someday I will get into themed entertainment, but I didn't have the, the, words for that. Um, I only told, you know, my teachers growing up, hey, I would love to design rides. And I went by way of mechanical engineering. I went and I studied abroad and saw that mechanical engineering students also studied industrial design, which then sent me to grad school. And I was one of the first graduates. Well, I was in that first graduating class for themed entertainment design over at Savannah College of Art and Design. And when I graduated from there, I landed an internship with Walt Disney Imagineering, which 
started my career in themed entertainment. And so I went from there. I moved out to California. I became a show producer at one point. And I went from there. I was a project coordinator. I started getting into fabrication. And then I ended up at a design studio, American Scenic, where I was a show set designer. And currently, I am a technical design lead, heading up a really exciting project that I'm hoping to be able to share more about at some point. (laughs) (laughs) And just industry, where you uh, are waiting to announce something exciting. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's the industry. I feel like everybody laughs that their best work is all under NDA. So it's it's true, right? (laughs) 100%. Hundred uh, percent, Jessica. Do you want to talk a little, a little bit about what you're doing with TETV and what you're doing right now? Yeah, so um, I got involved with TETV late, um, late spring last year. I was about to graduate college with my degree in marketing, and so I figured, what better way to kind of get my feet wet and get some actual practical experience than getting involved here with TETV and running uh, the marketing with Jamie as well, who. Um, also is on the channel. Um, So we handle all of the socials and um, emails that go out every week. So sorry, I spam your inbox once a week, but hopefully it's good content for you all. Um, But beyond TETV, I've worked at the Disneyland Resort for the past 10 years. Uh, I've spent seven of those years working at the Disneyland Hotel, which was such an amazing experience to be able to work for the original Disney hotel anywhere and learning the history and the heritage of that property um, was just such a special and unique experience. Um, And then when I decided it was time to finish up my degree, I went and transferred over and worked in park operations over on Buena Vista street um, in the retail there. And so um, that gave me the opportunity to not only continue working for the company, um, stepping back into a part-time role, but being able to finish up my degree as well. And then a wild weekend of events led to my graduation from Chapman on Friday and then Monday starting in my current role, which with which is in uh, communication events where we handle uh, media events at the Disneyland Resort. So getting everybody in to come experience all of the new offerings that we have and share it with their markets. So that's kind of my experience with themed entertainment, um, more so on the operations side as an employee, but then uh, definitely as a guest, as I grew up coming to Disneyland quite frequently, um, and then in my last 10 or 15 years, really learning what themed entertainment really is and what it looks like around the world, and that it's not just the few theme parks that we have here in, in Southern California, that there's a lot more to it. So um, it's been a great journey so far, and I'm excited to see where it goes. What made you guys decide to go into themed entertainment? I'm just curious. I personally love Disney. So I grew up about 45 minutes away from the Disneyland Resort. And so I knew from a very young age that Walt was someone that I looked up to. And I wanted to continue on what he had built in in Anaheim for us. And so somehow, some way, I was going to make my way there and started at right after high school and it wasn't the right time and 10 years ago here we are oh my gosh i can't even imagine growing up next to disneyland that sounds magical <laughs> it was, it was <laughs> for sure 
Well, I didn't grow up anywhere near Disneyland. I'm originally from Massachusetts. So, like, Six Flags New England was my local park. And it's more of an amusement park as opposed to a theme park. However... It started off as Riverside Park. Like, I remember when it was Riverside. And it's right on the Connecticut River. And some of the coasters, like, if you go on, I think it's now called Bizarro. But it was Superman Ride of Steel when I first, like, went and saw that that particular um, coaster. And the first lift hill takes you up so high. And it's right on the edge of the river. And it's like the most glorious view of the valley that you can ever see. But that wasn't that wasn't the ride that, that got me into themed entertainment, right? So the one that got me into themed entertainment was um, Houdini's Great Escape, which ended up being like almost uh, an illusion ride because you're just kind of like on this pendulum that takes you back and forth. But then the room also spins. And so the top part of the story, you're, like, supposed to be on the ceiling, which is, like, really kind of cool. But it was completely themed from the time you walk in, which is, um, yeah, (laughs) a Vekoma madhouse ride. Yes, it's exactly what it was. And, And it was themed from the time you walked in. And... <laughs> oh, there's Patrick. I think I've talked his ear off about this so many times because <laughs> I loved it so much. And this is seriously what got me into themed entertainment. And so that was the ride I would go to because at the beginning they had like all of his different great illusions set up. And they came to life at the end of the pre-show. And then you got moved into the the rest of the ride. So it was just like a full experience from the time you went into the queue. So that's kind of what brought me into themed entertainment and just kind of went out of control from there. (laughs) I love, like, if you didn't grow up next to Disney, you, like, likely grew up next to a Six Flags. And we all have, like, our own personal near and dear Six Flags. Mine was Great America and Chicagoland. And so I have not been to the one you're, you're, you, you're, you know, you grew up around, but I did, I have been to the one in New Jersey and California and I was kind of disappointed. So growing up, the one in Great America has a Batman ride and it was, I think like their first immersive ride, the ride itself's not immersive, but the queue is, and it made me love queues. I get kind of giddy for queues for no reason. No, who else loves queues? I don't know. Someone probably does. I mean, but, I uh, do. <laughs> No, he's, he's so fun. And the Batman ride had like the, the soundtrack and you're going from the movie, you're going through this tunnel and there was this police car that like run into a street lamppost. And it was so special to me. And then I go to the one New Jersey and they have the exact same ride. And I'm just like, oh, this is not unique to Chicago. And that was a bit of a bummer, but I did really like that cue. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but it shared the magic with everyone, you know, that's yeah. not only at your own home park, it's the other parks as well, so. That's true. That's kind of cool. That's, that's true. Cool. <laughs> and I was just talking to someone over dinner not long ago about Cars Land over in uh, the California Adventure Park. And so I didn't, I haven't been in themed entertainment all that long. I actually started my career, well, not my career, but when I was young, my dream was to be a Disney animator. That's what I wanted to be. I knew I was going to go to school, college for animation. And so I took some college courses in animation, storyboarding, like, you know, life drawing, all that sort of stuff. When I was in high school and I realized I didn't want to turn a hobby into a job. And so I had to completely 
look for a different career path. I ended up in marketing and social work and, um, but got burnt out doing that. And I really loved it. I, you know, did a lot of work with immigration and anti-human trafficking and community development. But at the end of the day, it's, it's hard work. I got burnt out. And so I had to have this heart to heart with myself about where do I want to go from here? I ended up at the time I ended up getting pulled into libraries because if you work in a public library, you're basically, you're, you're doing a lot of social work. So a lot of my skills transferred over. Um, but you know, I realized that I wanted to be more creative and go back to my creative roots, but I didn't know what that looked like. And, you know, I was, my brother lives out in LA while well, he's in uh, Huntington beach. So I can't say that anyone who lives, Kathy, Kathy's probably in the background right now. You can't say LA when you mean Huntington beach. If you're in the LA region, you know, you know, yeah. Um, anyways, and so we went to California Adventure. I'd never been there before. It was my first time there. And I saw Cars Land and it was, it was the catalyst for me. I remember writing an Imagineer a letter telling them that they helped me get out of burnout. Very serious. That burnout lasted almost seven years and that helped me get out. I have no idea who that Imagineer is. I should probably should go back to that. I think I still have that letter. I should figure out who I sent it to. Um, but it made me realize that I really wanted to go into these immersive creative experiences that make people happy and involve communities. And anyway, so that's kind of my uh, catalyst for getting into theme entertainment as well. Mm. That's really and, awesome. you, and like you also mentioned it. I mean, I, I feel like we couldn't have gotten as far as we have without our mentors that we've kind of adopted up until this particular point. And I've had several mentors as I've, I've gone through, you know, themed entertainment, but like I was super lucky at my last company. And some of you may know who I'm about to mention, but make sure you shout, shout them out, say hi, say I mentioned them, but Kathy Fox Martin and also Judy Bradbury, Amazing, amazing individuals who taught me so much as I was going through in this industry, how to, you know, lay out a set, how to go through and pitch that idea, how to actually draw it. Like, Judy is an amazing drawer and sketcher, and it could be like a really quick sketch, but it shows so much and there's so much um emotion that goes along with each of her drawings that she ends up doing and Kathy Fox Martin she's also amazing the way she can end up looking at a scene and looking at a set and applying the story that goes around it it was just kind of one of a kind for me and I'm really happy I was able to work with them you know as I was growing in my career and I feel as though you know, without them, I wouldn't be the designer I am today. 100%. I mean, I think, I mean, if I can give any advice to, uh, you know, a fellow, well, anyone, but like a fellow woman, you know, a young person, who, whoever you are, someone new to the workforce, transitioning workforces, different industries, it's to get a mentor, to get a range of mentors, you know, just because you just because you have one doesn't mean that you can't have more, especially, you know, mentors that specialize in different fields, or it's helpful if, you know, if you're a woman to have a female mentor, but also to have a male mentor, because they're going to have a different perspective or a young mentor, someone new, someone from a different industry. I think it's just really important to have that range of mentors. And I've been lucky enough to have a number through, you know, through my life, I've had social work mentors, which 
I mean, I would have been burned out so much sooner if I didn't have really good mentors to talk to about, you know, how to deal with the secondhand trauma that I deal with every day or, you know, how to just, you know, how to be safe, how, you know, how, you know, how do I handle that work-life balance? Because work-life balance, having a a poor one is going to burn you out in any industry really, really quickly. And I guess that would be my second, you know, word of advice is find, find a way to make your work-life balance a priority, um, figure out what your priorities are. But I mean, for me, uh, you know, I, me personally, I've been wanting to do more writing in the industry. I really love the museum sector and I've been learning a lot about interpretive planning. I'm getting a certificate from the National Association for Interpretation in interpretive planning. And so I found someone over at the Smithsonian. She is absolutely lovely. She's been doing this for 50 years. And, you know, without her, you know, I had, she'd asked me to put together a proposal for something she'd been working on. And I've been putting together other proposals for other projects, but there's so much that you just don't know when you're new. And like one of the things, like she sat me down, she's like, look, I looked at your proposal and here's what you did well. And here's what you didn't do well. And here's, you know, something that would stick out to someone else. And for me, even like one of those things was a salary, not a salary, but a freelance pay. I had no idea what to charge. And I think anyone who is going freelance, does anything on the side, is new to an industry, you don't know what your worth is and having those conversations about pay i think especially as you know anyone in a marginalized population it's it kind of feel it can feel awkward having that conversation or trying to figure out what you should charge or negotiating and it's so important i don't i think it's important to negotiate it's important to figure out what you're worth what the job is worth and not to be afraid to have that conversation i have had friends tell me when they negotiate they've just straight out said they're like i'm gonna negotiate like i'm a middle-aged white man and <laughs> i mean uh, i guess whatever you got to do but um you know and so my mentor was like you completely undervalued yourself she's like you should have been charging and i'm not even kidding she's like about 90 dollars more than what you put down per hour and i had no idea but you know unless i i had a mentor to tell me that I would have had no idea. So um, anyways, I, I agree with Kathy, get yourself a mentor. They're so important. And I know I'd love to know, Jessica, do you have any mentors or have any thoughts yeah, about mentorship? Absolutely. Thinking back on it, um, especially with my career at Disney, you know, it's definitely a very people focused industry and career path right within the Walt Disney company, which is one thing that I love so much about it. But I think being a female and being someone who is more on the direct side of things as opposed to softer and maybe a little more um, mindful, I think with, with the way uh, or the things that they say, I think being more direct like a middle-aged white man, doesn't always come across as someone who um, should be in leadership positions or not. Or if you get into a leadership position, how do you navigate that? And so I've definitely had several leaders along the way who have kind of been strong women in the industry who have guided me into being not a different version of myself, but just someone who can can navigate it a little bit better. And so I think it's so important to find those people who are going to be in your corner and help you through everything. Um, most recently, the, the Walt Disney Company has done so much to help out with 
um, connections, women's connections. There's actually a program called the Women Connection Program, where I've been peer matched with four different women across the organization and different lines of businesses that I would have never even had any contact with. So I think that that is so amazing that that's happening now. And so we're all in different levels, different, like I said, lines of businesses. And so it's so interesting to see what it's like for other women across the company, since it's such a huge, a huge place to work. And so um, I think that it's, it's really important to have, those leaders and women in your, in your life that are guiding you down the right path. And you can always bounce an idea off of, I think I feel very fortunate right now. The team that I'm on is, is simply amazing. The women that are our leaders aren't afraid to say what they think about whatever's going on, whatever the company might be um, saying or not saying. Um, And I think that the, um, the company or the, our leaders in my department are just fantastic. Uh, we had an event day not too long ago and my director just reached out to all of us and said, you know, if you feel burnt out, if you feel frustrated, if you need to take some time, even on an event day, don't feel like you can't do that. And I think it's so rare to have leaders that actually care about your well-being. Um, in that sense, like on an important day, I think all of our, our leaders do care to a, to a point, but, um, on a, on a high stress day, it was very refreshing to hear that our leadership actually was there for us and wanted us to put our mental and, and well-being, mental health and well-being before everything else. So, um, I know that was a lot of rambling, but hopefully that summed up my feelings on mentorship. No, and I, I think it really did. I mean, I feel as though, oh, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> um, but I feel as though like an undertone to that is is learning how to advocate for yourself. And I feel as though part of, you know, growing up, you you have to learn how to advocate for yourself. And I feel as though, I mean, me as a female in engineering, that was something I had to come up to very, very quickly. I mean, I even had a professor who told me I didn't belong in his class because I was a female, um, which was a really messed up thing. But then at the same time, you know, I turned around (laughs) and I was like, all right, so I'm just going to turn around and ace his test. And that's exactly what I ended up doing. But you know, at the same time, during during this period of time, I learned that I had to stand up for myself. I had to be able to speak for myself. And I think that that discussion also goes back and starts talking about, like, your pay and how you present yourself on your resume so that you can go up from being associate to a senior level role or um, one of those uh, uh, jobs that you feel as though is out of reach, but it may not be out of reach. It could be one of those things where you know what you're doing. It's just a matter of framing it so that you can set yourself up for those positions. And I feel as though that is one of the lessons that my mentors as I've come up has has even taught me, you know, and yeah, yeah. Learning how to advocate for yourself. It's very important. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, Caitlin, you're on mute. 
Go ahead, Jessica. <laughs> I was just going to say, I think that it's so, like you said, it's so important to not only advocate for yourself, but know your worth and know that, and not, not just doesn't stem down to pay. I think it's important to know what you're worth as a employee to a company. If they're not giving you what you need, it's okay to step away. It's okay to find something else. I know I've had challenges over the years where I at one point considered leaving the Walt Disney Company. And that was a really hard thought to even consider because I thought Disney was my end all be all. And thankfully, I'm still there. But at that point, it was very challenging to think, okay, I'm, I'm not getting what I need out of this situation. Where, where can I find that? And so looking into different options, and it came back to a mentor that I had, who saw my value and saw my worth and was able to kind of help me navigate that that time and find something that was a good fit for me. So I think um, knowing your worth beyond pay is is really important as well. Right. And I think, I mean, going off of that, you know, we we're talking about negotiations, not, you know, not that long ago. And even this, you know, knowing your worth outside of pay, it's, I, I wish I had known a lot sooner the type of things that you could negotiate and the different factors. Like I learned that way later than I wish I had. Um, and that's, you know, so if no one's telling you ladies, I feel like <laughs> the three of us could probably tell you a little bit or tell you anyone, you know, um, not just the ladies that are listening, but again, like, you know, you can, there's so many different things you can navigate or not navigate, negotiate, including pay, but you know, is time off important to you? Do you have kids? Is sick time important to you? Is sick time important to you for your children? Is, you know, travel time, you know, relocation, there's so many different things you can negotiate working from home, working remotely. Um, actually, I'd love to know, Jessica and Kathy, what you think about working from home? You love it or hate it? What do you think? See, I enjoy it. I think working from home definitely offers a flexibility for people who have like if you have kids, if you have other responsibilities outside of work, it, it gives you that ability to not only move on in your career, but also take care of the, the things that you do need to take care of and make that work-life balance work for you. For me, I was working in operations throughout the pandemic. And so I didn't, and I my home, we don't really have an office set up. So as I'm here right now, I'm sitting at my kitchen table. Um, so I don't have that kind of setup. I think, like Kathy said, it's important to be able to offer that flexibility. And I think that's definitely a positive to take away from this pandemic is that we've learned as, I think, a, a worldwide employment culture that we can have all these jobs work remotely or partially remote and not everybody needs to be in office every day. And I think that provides a lot more opportunities. Um, I personally go into the office every day now that I have um, a job where I could potentially work remotely, but I, I love my team. So I do go in every day. It's like really nice to have that flexibility though. Mm -hmm. I mean, at one point it wasn't even offered. And now, now it is. And I feel as yeah. though there's a number of, you know, families that I encounter and they, they realize, okay, I, I can go home, pick up the kids, drop them off and continue working if I need to. Or it's a situation of, you know, I, I need to work remotely today because I, I don't, I, I can't come in because I'm traveling or something like that. Um, 
but there's there's all sorts of ways of mitigating it so that you can have that work-life balance which is really kind of cool <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah I definitely prefer a hybrid but I babysit my four and a half year old nephew quite a bit because my sister she's a project manager she started a new job she couldn't she couldn't get off she wasn't allowed to take any time off and her husband travels a lot so I would babysit because I have the luxury of working from home so Again, like when I think of families or single parents, you know, God, I can't even imagine working full time at home and also taking care of a toddler. I just babysit from time to time and it's so hard. The other day he just screamed beep at the top of his lungs for like two hours straight in the background. <laughs> I just, I can, I can, I can, yeah. Anyways, but uh, yeah, that the luxury of just being able to, you know, if you need a moment to take care of your insurance because God knows how complicated insurance is medical needs. I, yeah, I like the hybrid, but I do really appreciate the working from home. And I know Rachel Strack had put a comment in on YouTube. Mentors are so important. Um, and women supporting women. And I have to say, you know, we've been talking about advocating for yourself, but I also think it's important that we advocate for basically, you know, just trying to make everything a little, a little more equitable, a little more accessible for everyone. Uh, you know, we're advocating for ourselves to be able to work from home, but I think that's just a general thing that we should be advocating for, that that should mm -hmm. be a policy period or more flexibility. And I, or, you know, so before I was working in uh, exhibit design, so my company, we design digital interactives and I'm a creative producer. As I mentioned, we are female owned. Most of our coworkers or most of our employees are, are women. And uh, but before I worked here, I was a horticulture program manager for both the state of Washington and the state of Wisconsin and in what's called the extension system. So most public li or public libraries, I worked in a public library as well. Most public universities have what's called an extension system. And so we were the ones that would take the research happening in the institutions and we would bring them to the community in a more palpable way that you know they the you know that was understood more widely and that you know they understood why it impacted their lives how it could help you know just the general populace and unfortunately because it being academia and government it required like all the different jobs would require very specific niche degrees like personally i feel like we're putting way too much emphasis on degrees and not enough on life experience. And, you know, having worked in community development and people would say, oh, if you're going to be a community organizer, you need a master's degree in something. Well, I mean, <laughs> why couldn't you hire someone that works in the community and understands the community? They're probably going to be a very, very, very good fit. And so we had put together kind of like a task force. The government loves to have task force um, of our management system. And we were working with HR to change the requirements on the job postings because, so many jobs that were really fitting for people that had lived experience. You know, we worked in prisons, but we, you know, it was very unlikely we were going to hire anyone that had prison experience because they didn't have a master's degree. But, you know, how helpful that would have been if we did. And so we were advocating to change the requirements to hire, you know, hire people for the positions because, again, just that the emphasis on a degree is not, I feel like it, it should be shift to people that have experience in other ways. And so, and we ended up, we did pass that in HR. So we did change the requirements for a lot of the positions that, you know, if you didn't have a master's degree, I think most of them went down to a bachelor's and associate's degree. And if you didn't have that, then you could have like lived experience that would qualify. Or 
you know, you know, you could call us up and have a conversation and we see if that we, you know, we'd have that conversation first. But in general, I guess where I'm going with this is I feel like we should be advocating for policy change at the end of the day, too. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that, I mean, I've been fortunate enough. I mean, I just turned 35 and I got my degree last summer. So there were a lot of barriers to entry for me um, on finding jobs out in in the world because I didn't have my bachelor's, my associates wasn't done until two years ago. So I had a lot of operational experience, but uh, that three or four years of a degree well, turned into many years of a degree <laughs> for me, but um, that was a barrier for entry. And so I think that not, I mean, just not only me, but there's so many out there that don't have the access or the resources to be able to get a degree, whether it's a financial burden or they have family to take care of in one way, shape or form. I think that what you said, Caitlin, is, is so spot on where we need to be advocating for, for changes where it's a degree or X years of experience and being able to articulate that on a resume, I think is, is something that we need to advocate for the for that kind of change as well. And I think one of the, and it's related somewhat, but um, in terms of COVID, I think it's kind of interesting how, you know, now we're looking at resumes differently, right? And there are a number of females who ended up having to take time off of work because they had a baby. And at one particular point, a gap was seen as, an unfortunate thing and also a mark that could go against you as you're applying for a job. And now, as we've seen people transition and grow and have a bit of time during COVID, this is no longer seeing seems as, as a negative mark to somebody who is applying to a job, which I think is going to start um, encouraging more women and more people who have taken time off for whatever reasons it is in order to get back into industry and start climbing, you know, up the ladder if they want to go more towards a leadership role. And I, I'm curious to see how all of this is going to end up playing out sometime in the future in the next five or 10 years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I had a dear friend of mine just get back into the workforce within the last two or three months, who was the caretaker for her children for the past eight or nine years. And she was able to get into a really like a director of food and beverage role at her, at her company after not being in, in any sort of like industry for, for quite some time. So I think that the pandemic definitely helped being able to bridge that time, not only because the pandemic was happening, but people, like you said, Kathy, people are looking at, at resumes differently. Yeah, people are looking at resumes differently and working from home is now becoming more of an opportunity or at least a hybrid situation. And I feel as though there's going to be a bit more of a, a diverse population that's going to be raising in the levels of leadership, which I think it's going to be incredibly important in terms of, you know, designing experiences and product design and going into, you know, 
spaces in general, you know? So I, I think it's really cool, even as we're seeing a lot of the changes happening now, you know, with our designs and stuff as well. Um, spaces for nursing mothers in airports and also within theme parks. Um, family restrooms are more of a thing as well. Um, designing for, you know, switching off if you need to, and also, you know, just changes in body sizes and body shapes and more body inclusivity as well. So that's always been cool to um, see growing in the, the design side. And I feel like I focus on that just because it's my job. <laughs> Okay, but my favorite trend that I've been seeing in theme parks and museums is more seating. More seating. It benefits everyone. Yeah. If it, it really, right. If you're, you know, if you, you know, if you're on crutches, if you're pregnant, if you are, you know, if you just had a long day. I like, I love, I love how something as simple as a chair or a bench can Come, like make someone's experience better and make them and just enjoy the space longer but anyway <laughs> well I mean I feel as though that sort of idea wouldn't have come about unless you know we've actually done the research or if there was somebody on that team advocating for more of uh more seating like that so that more people are able to enjoy a show or, or an experience or something like that um which is, which is definitely very cool to, you know, see and seeing how accessibility is definitely become at the more of a forefront within our designs and experiences so that more people can experience it and be part of it, be part of the magic. <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, so before the show, Kathy was showing us a book that she had picked up. Oh, yeah. I'm super excited about this one, The Women of Walt Disney Imagineering. And yeah, I'm, I haven't read it just yet. It just arrived yesterday. So I can't wait to dive into it. Um, yeah. I so, just put it in the Amazon shopping cart right before the show started. So <laughs> <laughs> it will be arriving soon. Speaking of the women in, in Imagineering and who helped pave the way yes. so that, you know, I can someday become a Disney Imagineer. <laughs> so I'm reading this. Uh, this is my book that I've been reading. I'm almost done with it. Exhibit Labels. It's written by the uh, delightful Beverly Sorrell. So oops, she is still around. She is still very Active. This is she's kind of like the Marty Sklar of Museum of Interpretive Writing. So um, I'm going to recommend this book to anyone that learn wants to learn about writing for museums. This is basically the Bible for exhibit labels. So this is the book all the interpretive planners, all the interpretive writers recommend. They recommended it to me. It does not disappoint. Um, so I'm yep. This is my book recommendation. I don't know, Jessica. Do you have any? <laughs> I feel so. Um, unread right now. I have bought many books this year. They are all still sitting on my bookshelf. Um, so I haven't quite picked up anything just yet. Although I did just get something um, from Michael Schur. I'm not sure if any of you are familiar with him. He is, he was a writer for The Office and then helped create Parks and Rec, Brooklyn, I think Brooklyn Nine-Nine and The Good Place. And so in, during his research for The Good Place, um, he 
did a lot of research on different philosophers. And so he took all that information that he learned and wrote it into a book of figuring out different life situations that you're going to end up in and what those philosophers would say about it. Um, so I just picked that up and fun fact on that is all the proceeds, um, from the sales of that book are going to, I'm not sure what charity, but some, uh, he's donating all of the proceeds for it. So I thought what better way to not only try and become a better human by reading this book. Um, it's also helping out others. Oh, very cool. That is really cool. <laughs> I had yeah. from someone in Hollywood donating all their proceeds. I think that's real, real inspiring. Yeah, I would agree a hundred percent on that. <laughs> so in terms of outside of books, actually, what is like the next experience that's coming up that you like can't wait for that's been announced? I'll go first. <laughs> so y'all have announced for uh, their next experience coming to Orlando like I'm a huge Meow Wolf fan as well I ended up going to one in Santa Fe like a few years ago and going experiencing that one and then of course I was hooked so I had to go and do the one in Las Vegas and so that leads me to uh, Colorado for the next one so hopefully I will be doing that in the next couple of months so we'll see <laughs> that's what, what I'm excited about um, I have no idea when it opens. It, it was just announced like last month, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, Orlando!" <laughs> oh, we saw it coming though, but we should have a field trip. <laughs> yeah, yeah. TETV meetup. Yeah, TETV <laughs> meetup. Oh my god! So I'm not actually someone. Someone. Someone's gonna just hate me for saying this. I'm not actually a Prince fan. Someone watching this really angry at me here. I don't, I don't really like Prince that much, but I have been hearing about this Prince immersive experience that is popping up in Chicago and it just sounds, I don't know. I don't know what this thing is, but it says the tagline is lose yourself in an interactive trip through the music and life of Prince journey through 10 multi-dimensional spaces and explore a purple universe where you will step inside the iconic purple rain album cover play music producer and mix one of prince's greatest hits studio a and then you get to get down to an audio visual dance party oh and much more so i don't know what this is uh i want to check it out though <laughs> It opens in June, so you know what this TETV party is just gonna like go around the country. I love it. Oh, I think for me, yeah. what I'm most looking forward to um, this year, if everything goes to plan, I'll be able to have gone to all um, all of the Disney resorts around the world. So that's my goal for the year. Uh, obviously, I've done Disneyland. We've just got back from Orlando. And then um, hopefully this summer, I'll get to be able to see Disneyland Paris and see their celebration for their 30th anniversary. And then what I'm most looking forward to, though, is heading down out to Japan to see Tokyo Disney Sea. Um, I've heard so many great things that it's just there's nothing like it. So that's that's top on my list of being able to get to see that. So fingers crossed everything goes to plan. All right, so Patrick called me out. So uh, 
it was Area 15. I'm just like so hooked on Area 15 over in Las Vegas. I just kind of like mash them both together because I'm like inside of Area 15 and just like Meow Wolf is a part of it. So Area 15, just in general, because have you been to Area 15 yet? Have either of you? Okay, yeah. so not only is Meow Wolf there, but there's all sorts of other immersive experiences and tons of delicious food and also, um, like, arcade games and stuff like that. There's, like, a barcade-type deal as well. So the full experience there... Oh, and um, Lost Spirits Distillery has an experience there as well. Um, but that is like one of my favorite things to do in Vegas. And I'm hoping that same sort of experience comes to Orlando. So Aww. thank you, Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and Rachel also mentioned Super Nintendo World Universal. Yes. 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 So for that. Keep seeing the renderings and everything for it. And it just looks so awesome. I keep looking at the ride-throughs in uh, Osaka because there's there's opened up like last year, I want to say. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So that's that's gonna be super exciting. <laughs> I was playing going back to Japan. Oh, <laughs> I was gonna say I was planning on going back to Japan in 2020. Obviously, it didn't happen. So I know what I'm gonna be doing this round. Then the the Ghibli Museum has always been on my oh, list. The Studio Ghibli Museum. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Didn't they open like a Studio Ghibli park over there? I don't know if they did or if it was just a rumor. I thought something, maybe the comments will hear some, say something, but I, I'm pretty sure um, I thought I heard something in there. But anyway, oh. yeah, Japan, there's a lot of stuff happening over there that I'm really excited for. Also, we'll be trying to get down to Osaka to see Super Mario Nintendo World there or Super Nintendo World. I grew up playing the games, so it's definitely nostalgia right honed in for me. <laughs> All right. Um, we're going to wrap up because this is a mini-sode, so it's just a short little episode. Um, so other like last advice to viewers... I guess just life advice, right? What's our, our final advice? Network. I am queen of networking in terms of yes, going out, going to like all the events you possibly can and just getting your face out there and learning as much as you can. Not everyone you meet is going to become a mentor, but everybody you meet is going to help you along in your journey. Uh, I think for me, one of my former coworkers said this offhandedly one day, and it's really stuck with me, um, but be better, not bitter. And so I think it's real easy to get hung up on X, Y, and Z, or let, especially those of us in operations, let the guest um, kind of affect your day. But we can all just strive to be better and not bitter. And I think leading with kindness really helps with that as well. I guess my advice is ask lots of questions. Like, don't be afraid to ask questions. And someone actually gave me good advice today that, um, you know, the answer to an unasked question is no. So ask a question. Um, obviously, have tact, you know, read the room, that sort of thing. You know, have, you know, emotional intelligence when you're asking questions. But don't don't be afraid to ask, to ask those questions. 
Yeah. And on a final, final um, before we close up, I just want to end this by uh, talking, sharing my love for Dolly. Dolly, pardon. I just want to put that out there that I think she's awesome. And um, shout out to Dolly, pardon, because I want to shout out to Dolly, pardon. So <laughs> any last words, Jessica or Kathy? Shout outs to Dolly, pardon, or? <laughs> I mean, you can never go wrong with a shout out to Dolly, but just I think to everyone watching and those that are going to watch eventually, just don't stop. Don't give up. Don't let, you know, a closed door um, be the end all be all. I think the path you're on is is the path you're meant to be on. And whether it's going well or not, you'll get to where you want eventually. All right. Well, all right. Thank, thank you, Jessica. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you all. This was wonderful. And thank you everyone for watching. (laughs) All right. Have a great night, everyone.